Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to I'd Sooner Forget This, a podcast where guests share with you something from their past. Like when I was 14, I wrote an incredibly short poem titled Jesus, which simply went, Oi Jesus, where's my miracle? Uh, I'm Daryl Smith and with me today is writer, composer, producer and retired carpenter among being my grandfather, Tony Palmer. Hi, Grandad. Hello, Daryl. So, Grandad, I have um, got you to dig something up from your past. What have you got? Well, I, uh, some years ago, I, I destroyed all the stuff I'd written before 1970. But this missed the cull. And uh, the other day, I actually turned it up. I didn't know I'd kept it. And I thought, well, yeah, I would have culled it. But there's... <laughs> So what year was this written in? This was written in 1958. And this is a song? It's a song called When At Last I Found The Love. Uh, But like all all other composers uh, down the ages, you very often find that when you progress, uh, not only necessarily in age, but in in knowledge of music and and other things, you look back at what you've done and uh, you just don't like it at all, you see. There was a famous man, and I'll, I'll just keep to the point, but there was a famous composer called John Cage uh, who did the same thing. When he got uh, to about 70-odd, he thought he would revise everything. He didn't quite achieve it, but he revised a mountain of stuff. But the problem is that he kept all the originals, and he wasn't too tidy, so when they did come to look at what he'd done, they had a hell of a job to define which was the original stuff in which he had revised oh i see so 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 the point of that is so if you do uh, decide to uh, revise something for goodness sake get rid of the old stuff (laughs) so don't you worry that because you wrote this in like the 50s that was your point of view back then but if you're revising it aren't you changing it into a totally different song from your point of view now well there'll be traces of the of the uh melody you see but i mean i could improve that melody and and the lyrics 100 percent uh and so you want to do it don't you you see let's go through some of the lyrics and see how you feel about them now well it goes when at last i've found the love the love i'll know was meant for me i'll bid my sorrows all goodbye filled with smiles my world will be like a bird i'll sing a happy song things will seem much better all along Blues won't find the way inside my door when I have found the love I was meant for. 
All my dreaming will be through, won't need a lucky star above. Enough the luck that will be mine when at last I found the love. Now, the thing about that is, Daryl, that all that stuff has been said a million times. Looking at that, it's everything written in that song has been said before many, many times, you know, about blue skies and luck and lucky stars. They've been... That's like Moon and June, isn't it? So, so you look at it, you think, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where were you living when you wrote that? Um, I was living at 3 Decoy Road in, in Ormsby, where my parents took me in 1939. And I lived with them till I was about 21 or 2. And then I went to London, lived in London, where I met the wife, you see. Uh, but we obviously did come back uh, to this area. So how old were you when you wrote this? Uh, I was 24. Were you making money out of music? Oh, yes, I was. I used to do... What I'd do, I would set people's uh, songs. I would advertise, and I wasn't the only one doing it. People would send me poems, and I would set the music for them, you see. But then I could also arrange... uh, People had written tunes, and I'd arrange them for piano so they could play them. Or if they wanted a a small band, uh, as in those days, there were hardly the guitar was coming in, but uh, it was mainly big band stuff. But I could just about arrange for a, a small band. I'm now I can arrange for an orchestra, but then I could do for some instruments, and so that they could have the, have their song played. You see, uh, so and I used to advertise nationwide, and, and I had plenty of work. You see, how did you actually get into writing music? Because no one else in our family did it. No, well I can tell you, it all started. I was playing football on the green in Ormsby, which is a village, as you know, not far away in in Norfolk here, and we were playing football and a boy called Ralph Gislam came and he said to me, will you come and join the church choir? I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, I'll get 10 points if you do, because they had a point system. If you got another boy in, he'd get 10 points. And they were paid, so we got a little bit of extra money. Well, I was fortunate because I went to the Ormsby Choir. I, I, I took him up on it and joined. I, I, I was either about 8 or 10. I, I can't quite remember so long ago obviously but that sort of age now the chap who took it he was more than a village choir master he had been in the parish church in Yarmouth which is the largest parish church in England and it was the choir there was something a bit they were, they were outstanding and the man there was was Dr Hayden Hare and he was rated as one of the finest choir masters in Britain by this time they had bombed the parish church and and Woodrow uh, and Dr. Hayden Hare died uh, in 1942, and and the church was bombed. The whole the whole thing was finished. So Woodrow came and started from that choir. He came and he brought all the expertise he'd he'd learned from Dr. Hayden Hare and taught it all to us. He taught us how to read music and and sing. Well, I began to realise that I could pick the stuff up and yeah, you know, I could follow the tune straight away you see and i thought well and i got very interested in the theory of music and so i i went to two private tutors actually and took the royal school of music exams and uh, and went up to grade eight and i'd taken that very quickly really and then i went on uh studying for the rest of my life really and i'm still learning So when did you first actually start writing your own stuff? How about old 18. You? I was about 18. I was several years uh, in making my mind up. I went and saw a film and there was this chap, uh, you know, he went to the cinema and was, that was a, a, what it was about this composer. And he was sat and, and he was 
making, he was a songwriter, you see, and he'd write it all down. I thought, God, I would like to do that. And so I started doing it, you see, and uh, and that's where it came from. And I've done that for all, all my life, you know, always writing something. All of your songs, to my knowledge, you, you wrote for other people. Did you ever want to, like, be a performer yourself? Not till I got very, very much older. I think, had I, you see, what what happened was I was trained uh, to sing in the church choir. Now, that's a different sound from a, a pop singer. It was then, way back. Uh, and I, I never thought that I would ever be able to sing pop stuff when, I, when I'd been trained with all this stuff to sing, which I still do, uh, which is to sing uh, as a harmony vocalist in the church choir. And uh, later on, I, I, I look back and I think, well, if I'd have gone to somebody, there must have been somebody around who could have taken my voice and, uh, when I was a young man and, and, no, you don't sing like that, you sing like this, and took me over to pop. Yes, I would have done it. But uh, that's how it was. Mm. Uh, Now, I just feel too old to do it. I only sing the stuff now so that people can understand it because there isn't everybody can read music now. So you have to, as long as you're in time and tune, you're all right, aren't you, you see? Going back to the song, do you actually remember writing it? I can remember sitting at the piano and writing that, yes. Well, I always write the words first, you see. I've finished the words, the lyrics, um, and when I'm happy with them, then I'll sit them down and uh, sit me down by a piano or I'll sit by the fire and they'll come into my head and I'll write them down, you see, uh, the music to it. I can write music anywhere. I, I, a lot of songs I've whistled up while I've been doing them calmly. <laughs> I think, well, that's a good tune. That'll go with so-and-so and, and they just come to you, you see. Do you not have a set process then? Well, the only set process, of course, is, is a theory of music because... Uh, songs there is a form about music i mean uh, you can't really write a, a top quality song unless you know at least the basics of of, of musical theory i mean there's this thing as form i mean there there are various types of, of songs i mean you've got some songs which are just verses one verse follows another and the, that same music goes on then you've got sort which are verse and chorus but the one, the style, which and actually there are some where there's just about eight lines. I've written one called Mary's Song, and there's just eight eight lines of uh, of, of uh, words, and, and yet you can turn that into a complete song. Uh, but form, which most songs ever that have ever been written, is A A B A, where you write a tune, say it's just for sim- simplicity, eight bars. You repeat the eight bars, then you write a different piece of music for the third verse and then you go back and you have uses the first piece of music for the fourth verse there's four verses a a b a the music is is for the first verse is used three times and the, the middle and you usually what they call that could be a middle 12 could be a middle 16 depends on what you're doing uh but that has to change, and you work into that and work out of it. You see, you can even go lots of them, and I do work into another key in the middle. You see, and 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 there are more songs that have been written on that style than any other. I must be. Most of mine are written like that. Do you recognise that when you hear it in other? Oh yes, songs? I can hear it. See, I I have the ability to listen to, and this is what what knows me so much. I if I listen, say, to a, a rock group, now I can just about see the such notes as there are going up and down and there's so much repetition they never get off but a few phrases and and it doesn't really fit in with anything i've said there but it's i mean i always think i always have done that 
the, the rock music is a package in a way. It, it is the artist is far more important than the song in some respects. Not always. I mean, things like the ones that started off as rock around the clock. Well, that was a good song, wasn't it? Really, but it was played by musicians. It was played by by uh, people. Uh, with a band that weren't guitars not, that might have been a guitar or two in there but it actually was it was a, a more towards a, a dance band that played it you carried on writing like through your 20s did you go any further with it uh well way down the line i mean i've had so many songs recorded i mean I, what happened when when i went to london uh I, well because I, I was a, a, an apprentice carpenter so i did my apprenticeship and it took six years to get through that because i did one year of proven and five years that i'd spend on my apprenticeship all this music was obviously done on the side and by the time i finished my apprenticeship at 22 i i I went to live in London with my uncle, with the uncle. He lived there on his own in the vicarage, and I went down there. And uh, that's where it really I, I started to meet a few people. You see, I mean, I had one song uh, recorded by Yana. She was on uh, Sunday Night with the London Palladium, and that was all released on vinyl. And uh, then, of course. Uh, I I I thought that well I'll start my own music publisher and I used to get things printed and this is probably one of the first that that was done. Uh, this one, the song we were talking about, but uh, so I thought well I don't know and eventually I I realised that if I could make records I could sell them as well. You see, mm. so when when we after I got married and we came up here, I built a recording studio on the whole top of the, of the bungalow, and that was quite a big hit up here. Groups used to come and record, and and I could I could write the music, do everything. The most famous one we ever did with because was the singing postman. Uh, and everybody, well, not everybody, but certainly he was a hit at his time, you know. With the the music itself, because, like, say, no one else prior to you in our family, to my knowledge, had, like, written, mm-hmm. would, like, your parents supportive of it? Not really, no. No, well, my mother was, but my father, he thought I should stick to the trade, because he would be, because he was building, you know, he, he, <laughs> he weren't too keen on, on uh, things. But I did, even before I... Uh, uh, sort of wrote anything my father bought a piano accordion and he couldn't play it and i picked it up and started playing tunes on it you see more or straight away and so i used to play that and and then we used to go for camp you know like the boys club would go camping i used to take that with her and i'd play them they all sing around the campfire you see <laughs> and i could pick out the tunes i couldn't i wasn't reading music at the time but you'd pick them out on the thing you see did your parents change their minds when you started making money out of it? Oh, they? yeah, I think so. They realised that I could... Because at, at one stage, I was doing a full full day's work uh, uh, with the woodwork, and then, I, then I'd be on the music arranging and, and, and writing, and I was doubling more and doubling my income, you see. And by the time I, I went down to London, I was making more out of music than I was at the woodwork. So I went with it for quite some time. But eventually, I, when we came back, the, it, uh, we lived right near my brother's workshop, and of course, there was always a job to do and extra money. So uh, that's what happened. Did you ever consider giving up carpentry and just pursuing music? Well, I did, and you see, what happened was that when we came back from London, had the bungalow built, and. Uh, I was doing music full time then, and we were making demonstration records. And we had the recording studio with all the gear up, 
uh, uh, one of the first in Norfolk, actually. This would one be, of the first recording studios in Norfolk. Well, well, certainly commercial ones, and that was we were in all the newspapers. I've all all the clippings upstairs, and bands used to come and hire the studio. And I, I brought on a recording engineer. He came in with me, and we were recording bands and at the time. But we were making mainly our income was from making these demonstration recordings. People would send us stuff, and we'd record it. You see, so they could see what it sounded like. And uh, this went on, and then one day uh, I was I was playing football on the Saturday afternoon, and this group from from Lower Stoft had booked the recording studio, and uh, so I didn't hear them or meet them when they come. When I on the Monday morning, when when I went up to the studio, my recording engineer Richard Hayley, he said, uh, "You ought to come and hear this." So I went, and, and th- this chap sang country and western. He called himself Jim West. And uh, I said, "Oh, he's got." A, I said, "Well, don't charge him. We'll see if we can sign him up," which we did, and he was quite agreeable to that. And we made a single, and we were selling selling them like hotcakes. This first release, I didn't write that, but then uh, we decided we'd make an album, and we made the album. And Richard was going down to London, the recording engineer, so he took it with him. And the first major label he went into, which was uh, President Records. They took it. They said, "Yeah, we like him," uh, and so they, we did a deal with them, and we they released that album nationwide. Then we made another one, and we started on another. Now Jim was very, very popular, and they were really going to town to make him. Uh, well, they said he'll be the he'll be we'll call him Britain's Jim Reeves. Now, whether I mean Jim Reeves was getting a bit old for some people, but he's still well known. But he was a world hit, Jim Reeves country music, and. Uh, so we 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 were all set to 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 really go to the top. We'd broken through. That was the point. And I was writing some songs. Some of them are still on the albums, which I've got there, of course. And uh, but then, unfortunately, uh, Jim became ill at twenty eight, and then he died. And and so I lost. I never did recover from that. Never did really recover from it. I took other people on and, and uh, recorded their stuff. I mean, one chap in particular, Budgie Coleman, we must have recorded 15 or 16 albums with Budgie. But uh, good as he was, and he certainly did what was good, and he, he, he covered right from London up into Lincolnshire and all around, but he, he would never made the success that Jim would have done. Jim was set to be a, a really a world artist, but the way the things were. The right people knew him, you see. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So what other um, popular artists were coming through your... Well, they were local local artists, you know what I mean? And and, uh, some of them that that we wouldn't sign them on, so they paid to have their their records made and they'd come and record them and then they'd they'd sell them on the gigs, you see. Uh, I'll find I can't remember many of them, but not at that time. But uh, we were in the recording studio one day and Richard Hale, the recording engineer, came up and he said... He said, the postman's on the dole. I said, and I thought he meant the local postman, you yeah. see. No, he said, the, the singing postman, he says, on the dole. This was about 1970. So I said, well, good luck to him. <laughs> so he said, well, we ought to sign him up. I said, you can sign him up. I'm not going to. Because, the, you know, we thought that he'd more or less finished, you know. So... Uh, he kept on about it. I said, "Well, oh, all right. Well, well I said, ring the dole up." So he 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 jumped to it and he rang because uh, uh, he knew it, that was in the paper. He was living in Peterborough and he rang up the what was called the dole today. That would be job seekers place, one or whatever they call it. And and they said, "Yes, we have a Mister Smatherstone the books." Uh, he said, "Well, in what capacity do you want to buy him? So uh, employ him." So Richard, being a bit of a wag, he said, "As a postman." <laughs> but of course, no. He explained it to him and they were so. They said, well, we can give you his phone number. So, uh, so Richard, he was on to that. He phoned and he got in touch with the postman. And there was, he was living with a chap who had a tailoring business. He wasn't married. And we can go on forever with this. But, but, so I, I might as well tell you this story. The postman, had an in, he was living in Grimsby. And he got a, uh, an invitation from the Navy in, in Portsmouth to go down there and do a gig for them, you see. And so he took them up on that. Well paid. So they paid his, his uh, travelling expenses and he's paid on them. Well, the postman being what the postman is, so he gets on the train and he goes down there. And the first thing he does is go straight. Like he, you would think if you were going there, you'd look out and find, because they were going to put him up, He, you'd find the digs where you, and, and make sure you're all, and then you'd go on the, the postman got straight out of the train and went in the pub. <laughs> So he came up, but when he went in the pub, he, he met two sailors and he pulled his great water notes out and so oh, on. And go with him. They said, There's another little pub down the road. So they took him down. Well, they rolled him, you know, he had that much money they on him. Several, yeah, so of several hundred pounds, which today would be several thousand pounds. And uh, so he was left standing there. So he went back to the pub and explained to the publican who then phoned the Navy office and uh, they came and collected him. Well, he did the gig. And they unpaid him, so he then had some more money. And then he set out to go back to Grimsby. But he got as far as Norwich. Yeah, that was Norwich, yes, and thought he was in Grimsby. (laughs) So he got off the train and was wandering around the station. And this chap, who just felt a bit sorry for him, he said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, well, I I thought I was at Grimsby. He said, you're in Norwich. He said, said, well, I've got a a spare room if you want to come. You know, I can put you up for the night. So uh, that's what he did. He took him up, and then he got talking with him, and, and uh, the upshot of it was he became his uh, personal manager. You see, the chap had a, he was. A, no, I met him. He's quite a decent fella, and he had his own tailoring business. You see, and uh, so the postman lived with Stanton. They, they sort of shared the same flat, and wow. uh, and, uh, and that is uh, so. Th- 
that really no that was in peterborough sorry i'm telling you norwich he 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 got off at peterborough rather than than, than grimsby upshot of it was he was living with this chap and i went up to pick him up uh and bring him back and we signed him all up until the rest of it and, and we used to put him up in the royal log in ormsby you know and he'd stay there while he made the recordings and then we'd paid for all that and then he'd he'd go back to peterborough when he'd finished the recording sessions but there was one uh, funny episode when after he did the gig he he's he, he had a little like a a joke about it he he said, uh, I went down to Portsmouth. I'd better do it in the Norfolk accent. <laughs> I went down to Portsmouth, did the gig on the submarine. But he said, I got he got, got on the submarine. He said, I'm used to magister about 10 fathoms. And I say, shouldn't I be on the inside? <laughs> <laughs> when you started recording with the Sing Postman, you um, got him to record quite a few of the songs. Oh, I wrote, wrote about a dozen myself that she recorded, but most of his songs, uh, of course, were, were, were written by himself with mm. his guitar. We actually brought a little band in, and surprisingly, the, uh, 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 one of the chaps who used to come work as a musician at the studio, he knew Lonnie Donegan's drummer, who was Lonnie Donegan came to Yarmouth, and, and, and uh, Nick Nichols came with him, and, and, and we actually brought Nick Nichols in during the day, and he, he recorded some of the, uh, the drums on the Singing Postman's records. Wow. And they're still on there, you know. I can pick Nick out on there. Uh, but, of course, what happened... We, I'm now jumping to about the turn to the millennium, to about 2000. Uh, I had an opportunity to get hold of all the Postman's songs and recordings that... Uh, he'd done before I ever met him, the ones that really mattered, you know, his, all his hits and all the rest of it. And cutting a long story short, uh, with an, a friend, an associate of mine called William Normanton, we we did a deal with Ralph Tuck's son. Ralph Tuck was a man who started the postman off. Uh, we did a deal with him whereby we took over all the, the uh, copyrights of the of all his stuff before. So I was able to put all that he'd recorded before I met him with the ones that I had recorded, and they now total about over 80 songs, which I've now released on seven albums, mm. you see. Of course, he died in 2000, but he made 72, I believe. He wasn't born in Norfolk. He was born in born in, in Lancashire, but his parents brought him uh, to Norfolk when, when he was a child. Then his father died early and his mother remarried and they moved back out of Norfolk, back to Grimsby, uh, or up to Grimsby, and that is where he started to pine for the Norfolk and wrote all the songs about it, you see. Your main experience with music is that you've written a lot of it yourself for other artists to perform it. With modern music now, a lot of artists write and record and perform stuff themselves do you find how do you find that well it depends what it is when i hear them i think well if the lyrics are just what you could write on the back of a cornflakes box you know in about quarter of an hour i don't go for them the music too if they have and they are a lot of them are very well drilled in theory if they are written in a way that i think i've got some they've got some musical form 
Well, yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll appreciate them. Uh, they don't always have to do that, but I mean, there's. But in uh, the bottom line is, I think there's far more rubbish written than there is good stuff. Uh, there are some lovely songs written, and no question about that. You can't knock everybody, can you? Uh, but I could write in that style. But in fact, I think that every th- song I write now has got a modern rhythm, because you, uh, the modern rhythms are far superior to the ones that pre-rock rock and roll stamped it's it's something on all songs even the ballads that the the then the, you do get no more four, four square things you might get some written for dancing like quick steps fox trots and things which may be adapted to it but but rock has influenced the whole of the popular field of music and all these things are all branches of it they call it different names but they're still rock and roll Really, you know, they're just variations, that's all. So do you think that's part of the influence as to why you've rewritten so much of your music? It could well be, yes, certainly. How much of your music have you actually thrown away? Oh, half. Really? And I've now, uh, that's still, I've still got about 500 items, uh, which include three symphonies. Uh, I had to, uh, actually, you just can't sit down and write the same. But I have studied it for all my life. But I did go about when I was in the, when I was about fifty odd. I, I went for about a couple of years to a a, a, a a very good musician who taught me how to arrange properly for dance bands and also taught me how to lay out stuff for a symphony orchestra. You see, what I learned from him, coupled with what I've been studying all my life, I'm now able to do that. It's for other people to judge whether it's good or bad, but I, at least I can do it, you know. Do you not regret throwing away any of that music? No, not really. Why not? Well, because you feel that you don't want people to criticise what you've left. That's the point. Uh, they will do anyway, but I, I don't want to leave stuff... That's like bad work to me, so therefore I wouldn't want to leave it behind. I, I mean, I probably... Uh, have done wrong in some there may be one or two of them have done fairly well but i don't know it's just a feeling you get at the time mm. you cull them out you see and i'm still revising i'll spend more than what is um, my love that is left revising things i'll probably write new ones i i even go and die time and i pick one up and say cool that would make a good song and that's already finished you see so i'd change it all around and uh you've got a, a, a more up-to-date and more and a, a song of better quality you mm. see so how many years have you been revising your music for? Probably 10. And so what did you do? Did you go, you went through it and got and threw away all the stuff that you definitely didn't want? Mm. And then did you just look at your favorite stuff and then try and make it better? Yes, that's what you do, yeah. The ones I've written probably in the last 10 years the new ones they're all to me I'm satisfied with them. Mm. Satisfaction is a word it really. You've got to be satisfied with them. You see, if you made a door and that was you looked at that and that was all over the place, you wouldn't want anyone to look at it, would you? You no. see, and it's the same thing as as art. If you, if anybody paints bad pictures, well, you know, people just take one look at them and, and they they walk away, don't they? Um, so I'm hoping that that and I've, I'm firmly convinced that some of this, and because I've written so many things that I've just chucked in the cupboard, even right up to today, that I think that one day they will, one or two of them have just got to do something, you know, uh, not because I wrote them, but I know that they are of the quality which would appeal. So how do you feel about looking back on your old songs? 
Well, at the time, they 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 were the best I could do. The best I could do then is not the best I can do now, and and that was the only reason why that I didn't keep them. You see, uh, and you see, well, not dealing one song. When you think that when you you just write one song and then you start on another, and I've done that nearly all my life, then you've got a lot of stuff to to look at, haven't you? Mm. And and what is the point? I mean, nobody's ever been famous for the number of stuff they've written. That's the quality of them. I mean, Schubert, he wrote more than Beethoven and, and, and uh, Mozart put together. Schubert did, and, and he, he's brilliant, but a lot of that I don't think that people would be too keen on. He, he wasn't famous because he wrote a lot of stuff. Nobody ever was, were they? Uh, so it's not the matter, it's the quality, you see, that matters, or it does to me, and that is why I look at them and think, well, I mean, I, I can look at this one, what you were talking about earlier, and I can immediately see where I can make that ten times better. What's the first thing that you'd want to change with this song? Well, the lyrics mainly. The music's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's what I would do now. Would I would make it more modern because it's, it's still four square, you see. But uh, I would syncopate it more. Get probably give it a swing, swing mood, or, or even rock. That would go to rock in in four four. Uh, but the words. They're what put me off it because everything in there is. I mean, like a bird will sing a happy song. Well, you don't write that today, do you? You might have done then because it was well in then those sort of things. But they've all been said before, you know. Perhaps someone has when at last I found the lovers. Well, it's original, but it didn't mean much, does it? You see, the sort of things I write now, I compare it now. Um, oh, I've got to think of them. Uh, don't hold yesterday against me. Because it's spoiling tomorrow's view. Now that's original. Now that's what I go for now. Now then, that old complaint, love. Now that's pretty original. Um, I've got so many songs in my head, I can't rattle too many off. But they're what I go for. Things that people have not said before. And I do remember this when I used to go down to Tin Pan Alley. And this is this is in the sixties. And a chap told me that, he said, if you're going to write songs, write something nobody's ever written before. By that, he, he meant what I'm trying to say. You've got to find an original title. And and, and that slowed me down in a way. I mean, because I I think and think and think, and, and I'm still doing it all, all day long at times. Well, let go. And, and you, you can read through poetry books and, and see what the old poets have can can I twist that one way or the other you mm. see um, and, and things like I've written recently uh, lucky to be unlucky with you you see lucky to be unlucky with you now that's that's original whether it's good or makes a good but I've written a song and recorded it uh, but it's at least you can say it's original uh, there's a whole load I could rattle off but I don't remember them I, I <laughs> do you worry that then that um, a lot of writers don't think in that way well there are very few that do i mean you see now the, if you go to the beatles now that paul mccartney you, you probably count about a dozen of all the songs he's written and you'll find some depth in ebony and ivory now that's a very very good title uh he's referring to and you do know the song or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah whether it's the keys on the keyboard and mm-hmm. relating to humans you see yeah. black and white very original, you see. That's that's good. But all I mean, if you look there, original. Love, love me, do you know I love you? No, come on, a child would write that, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, you see, and and I haven't. I mean, 
it didn't matter because they were a package, weren't they? It's the package. It's like Ed Sheeran. He's a package. It's not what he writes. It's him. He appeals to the his age group and and younger, and 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 he's got to sell millions and millions and and make. Well, he's probably worth about nearly a couple hundred million now. You see, um, but it is this this depth. Of, you find that the further you go back, the old writers they used to fill songs with all originality flowing along. You know, and and. Uh, I can't remember them now, but they, 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 there's a whole wealth of them available. And, but they, they wouldn't necessarily catch on because today people, they don't buy the, that look at a song through those eyes. Mm. They, 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 if it's Ed Sheeran, they'll buy it. If he sung Humpty Dumpty, they'd buy it, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. They would. But in some ways it holds me back because I think, well, oh, but that just isn't original, you see. You're looking for originality. And there isn't that much around, really. I don't think. <laughs> if you could go back right now and go back to the day when you wrote that song and speak to yourself, yeah, what would you like to tell yourself? Well, I'd look at the, the words and think, well, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll write a song, When At Last I Found The Love. Now, what can I do with it? Where can I find some originality? And I'd probably come up with none of those lyrics because they'd all been said before. I yeah. wouldn't write any of that. Any, you, you've got to write the words because you're writing in English, but I would look for sentiments that would, were original to follow it, you see. The music is not that bad, really, but I, I, I would want to think, well, now, who was going to sing it? Now, who would play it? And, and, and I'd try and fit the, the music I've got there around that so that it would get more of a swing or more of a rock rhythm than that's got, you see. That that's really uh, apart from it is because it's it's, it's old. It 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 fitted in then, but uh, that's the song you see. Thank you so much for joining me, Grandad. Oh, it's uh, been a pleasure. I have rambled on, but then I do, don't I? I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably cut out ninety percent of it, which I hope you will anyway. People can go and find um, a lot of your music at Angular Records. Oh yeah, if they well, uh, all they've got to do to find out about me and to see what I've done is to go to anglianmusic.com. Simple as that. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, this has been I'd Sooner Forget This. I've been Daryl Smith. My um, guest was my granddad, Tony Palmer. Uh, make sure that you download to the podcast if you haven't already. And if you enjoyed this episode, then tell a friend. And why don't you leave us a nice review? Thank you. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.